0: Hey, my name's Rowan. I'm one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. There are times when you open the Bible and it says exactly what everyone expects it to say. Love your neighbor. Do not steal. Do not murder. But there are other times that it says almost the polar opposite of what we expect. One of those times is the answer to the question, what is God's will for my life? If you're here today checking out Jesus, uh, you want to know what is life with Jesus like and what can I expect here and now? We're going to get to see the answer to that question in a moment. If you're convinced that Jesus is God and he lived and died for you, the answer to the question, what is his will for my life, should shape our expectations and our decisions and the way we understand our purpose and our whole lives. But the answer to the question, what is God's will for my life, is not what we expect. Come with me. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. What Peter is saying is that God's will for your life, if you trust in Him, is that you and I suffer. That's that we suffer. And we see it all throughout the letter of, of 1 Peter. Look in verse 19. So then, that those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful Creator while doing what is good. See, the Apostle Peter has been telling us uh, since the beginning of his letter that suffering is core to God's will for our life. Um, In chapter 2, verse 19, he says it brings favour because if of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. Or 2.21, for you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Or 3.17, for it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So often I hear people saying, God wants us to have our best life now, to be comfortable, full of health and wealth and prosperity. But that's not what God's word says. Not now, not before Jesus' return. God's will for your life, if you want to follow him, if you make Jesus your king, is that you'll suffer. Now that is odd, isn't it? What good can there possibly be in that? Well, if you think about um, suffering and the effects that it has, generally, suffering seems to put us in touch with what life is all about. Uh, People who go through suffering tend to have a clarity of what matters most. Uh, People reprioritize good things like family and relationships. Suffering often um, uh, breaks through the superficial ways that we think to give clarity of life, but only for a time. Because it doesn't usually take long once the suffering subsided to return to our old superficial ways. If you've ever come across someone who has been cushioned from suffering their whole life, generally you'll find someone who lives superficially. They don't understand what life's all about. They're a little bit green. So as we think about suffering and reflect on its effects, I think most of us can see some good in it, some positive aspects. But would that be enough to lead you to rejoice in it. To say, this is good. This is God's will for my life. And I think not. Now, to understand what this suffering is, we need to understand what suffering according to God's will is. Because that's what's spoken of in this particular passage. Now, there's a few options. Suffering according to God's will could be all suffering. You know, God is in control of all things. He's, he's sovereign. Um, and everything happens according to God's will. So is this all suffering that he's talking about here? Well, it could be, and that's half true. But also God's will is to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And and the trajectory of Scripture is to see a a new creation with no more crying or mourning or pain. So it's probably not just that general suffering, even though God is in control of all of it. Uh, Perhaps it's suffering that's deserved. You know, uh, we deserve punishment. You've been caught speeding or stealing. So you suffer according to God's will. We brought something on ourselves wrongdoing should be punished but we're going to see verse 15 says that it is not that verse 15 says don't suffer for doing things that are wrong don't suffer for doing dumb things so perhaps then it could be just natural suffering you know, calamity strikes the the dreaded things happen and God's still fully in charge he's not let go of the controls you know when a cancer is diagnosed or a child dies God is in control And verse 19 of this passage is brilliant advice in that situation, to trust God and entrust ourselves to Him. But it's not the type of suffering that Peter is talking about here. If you were to sit back and think, what is the least plausible option of what this suffering could be? What's the most unlikely suffering according to God's will could mean? What would that be? What would you think? Well, I reckon the least plausible option would be suffering as a result of doing God's will suffering as a result of doing good as a direct result of being a christian right why would we suffer if god is in control for doing what god says to do for doing good but i think that's exactly the type of suffering god has in mind when he says this verse 16 but if anyone suffers as a christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify god in having that name the suffering that peter is talking about here is suffering that comes because you live your life as a Christian, because you do what is good in God's sight. This is what you can expect the Christian life to be. This is what it is to to, to live God's will for my life. Now, as a side note that we need to pause and think about here, whenever the Bible says something that takes us by surprise, it's a moment for us to stop and listen. Because when it takes us by surprise, it's saying something that is different to our view of the world and doesn't necessarily line up with our view of the world and, If we want to learn from God and listen from God, here is a key place to shape the way that we view the world. So the suffering talked about here is suffering that is because of God's will, because you're a Christian. Peter says this sort of suffering is God's will for the Christian. And we ought not to be surprised when it comes. Don't be surprised. Look with me at verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Here, Peter recognizes the reality that if we are to be true Christians, we will suffer. To get the full effect of this statement, we've got to realize when this was written. Peter is writing here at a time when, when Nero was emperor, at a time when in the not-too-distant future, Christians would be burned like torches to light up Nero's courtyard. Peter is in no way speaking lightly when he says suffering will come. But the suffering this passage talks about is not really the burnt at the kind of stake suffering. Not, not the one that someone's going to kill you for. it. It's more the, the insults that will be hurled at you from your friends and colleagues. It's, it's the rejection that comes, the loss of social status, when you say that you actually trust Jesus. You think Jesus rose from the dead. When you, when you don't want to be part of the derogatory office culture. Or when you ask your friends not to send you those pictures of scantily clad women. Or when you decide to dress a little more modestly than the current fashion because you want to be modest, or when you tell your friends that Jesus is the only way to God and the only way to live forever. Peter wants to make it clear to us. He wants to help us to be prepared that as we live our lives for Jesus, the world's going to laugh. It's going to look down on you as an insignificant nobody, and it's going to hurt, and we will suffer pain and loss, and you'll be tempted to go, Ah, no, this isn't right. But don't be surprised when suffering comes. See, Satan wants you to be surprised. He wants you to believe that this isn't normal. It's something that you've done in your past that, that God can't forgive, or you're being too radical, or, or God doesn't want this for you. God loves you. Maybe, maybe he's gone away. Maybe God isn't who you thought he was. Maybe you should just fit in with the world around you. No, but suffering comes exactly because God loves us. Don't start thinking that, that God hates you for something that you've done, but recognize that because suffering comes, it gives us great reasons to rejoice. Now, what do we do when suffering comes? (laughs) Rejoice. That's probably not what you expected God to say, but it's the second point I want us to look at today. See, we're, we're expecting some sort of list of how to put up with suffering, but Peter turns our view of suffering upside down. He says, rejoice. To calmly be delighted, to recognize there's something good in this. Not that we need to be sadistic, Not that we need to go, oh, suffering in and of itself is good, but suffering for being a Christian is actually for our good and part of God's will for our life. He gives us three reasons to rejoice when we look uh, at the gospel as we suffer for the gospel. So look with me from verse 13. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. If you suffer for the cause of the gospel, then you're following the footsteps of the greatest man this universe has ever seen. Do you see what an enormous privilege it is? It's not just to suffer like him, it's to suffer for the same reasons, to be living for his kingdom, to be treated today like they treated Jesus then. You're suffering for the same cause he suffered for, for God's glory, for living God's way. You are one in purpose with the creator of the universe, partners in the same mission. Now, what an opportunity to work with the creator of the universe, to share everything with him as you labor for his cause. Sure, some people will jeer, some people will mock, the world around us won't love that. But seeing people come to Jesus and and see their lives shift from darkness to light and and be in Jesus when he returns is such, such a blessing. Now, when I was a young kid, one of my favorite books was the story of Louis Pasteur. Uh, He was a French chemist in in the 1800s, and he had some pretty far out ideas to do with medicine. Uh, But because he wasn't a doctor, he was a scientist, no one would listen to him. In fact, he got torn to shreds in all the journals as a joke and a a misfit. Academics would laugh at him and his ideas everywhere he went because they thought his ideas were crazy. But Louis Pasteur ignored all the mocking and sneering because he believed so strongly that tiny things called germs existed and that they could cause disease. So he worked hard despite what everyone else thought and eventually his work resulted in saving millions upon millions of lives through the developments of vaccines for rabies and anthrax. He's one of the, the founders of vaccination and brought us the idea of preventative medicine that we have today. Louis Pasteur transform, transfer, transformed the medical world. Now, imagine you had the chance of being involved in his work. Imagine he offered you a position as, as his chief lab person to kind of work alongside him and, and see this work go forward that would save millions of lives, right? What a privilege. I'm sure it would have been hard. You would have been mocked like he was mocked. As you talk about the ideas, people would, would have kind of had you miss out on opportunities um, because you believe something that's countercultural. But you would have been involved in changing the way the world thought about medicine and saving millions upon millions of lives. So as you suffer for the gospel, as you suffer for living as a Christian, rejoice, for you are involved in God's plan to save the world. You're not just involved, you're a partner, a fellow worker with Jesus Himself, that He is working in us and through us as we live out what it is to put Jesus first. What a privilege. What a privilege. We rejoice because we're partners with Christ. But that's not the only reason we rejoice. We rejoice as we look to the completion of all that Christ is doing. We will see the magnificence of the glory that will be revealed. See the second half of verse 13. Instead, Rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. Friends, no matter what the world says, no matter how many people laugh or poke fun at you for following Jesus, the reality is that Christ's glory will be revealed. The truth will be shown. Jesus will return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you hear that? That is the future. That is what God is bringing in. There are so many good causes to be involved within our world. So many great people like Louis Pasteur. I mean, but how many of you had heard of Louis Pasteur before today? The day Jesus returns, every single person on the face of the planet Every single person that has ever lived or ever would live will see the glory of Jesus Christ as Lord and will recognize his way as right. If there's anyone to tie yourself to, if there's anyone to partner with and to suffer for, surely it's this man Jesus. There is nothing, and I mean nothing, that compares to the glory of Jesus. The whole universe is pointing forward to that point. That's the whole story of creation. And if You've been part of the sufferings of Christ. If you've lived for Jesus, then the day his glory is revealed will be one of unimaginable joy for you. And the sufferings? will be proud war wounds of how God used us in his magnificent plan. But our sufferings also serve another purpose. They give us a third reason to rejoice. As we suffer for being a Christian, we're being molded into who God wants us to be so that We'll be there on that last and final day. The sufferings help us to endure. Look with me at verse 17. For the time has come for God's judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? Judgment, says Peter here, begins with the family of God. Peter is saying that all our suffering for the gospel is God's judgment on his people. It's kind of like a sifting process that's already begun. Right? There are many people in this world who, who profess Jesus as the true and living God, but have never turned from serving themselves. There might be you here today. You, you see Jesus as someone who's important, but merely just an add-on to make your life a little bit better, rather than the king you submit everything to. One of the reasons God has designed it to be so hard to live as Christians is so that the genuine is sorted out from the fake. Life here and now is a serious business. In the few years we have on earth, eternal issues are being worked out here and now. It's not just we we live and then we die and then that's it. Life is much more than just family and friends and career and possessions. Our response to Jesus now will determine his response to us when he comes back. Eternal things are being worked out. God is at work in sorting them out. Those who really belong to his family and those who really obey the gospel, and those who don't. And he's separating those two and helping us to work that out by bringing through trials that refine us. And for those who trust Jesus, it's these trials and sufferings that refine us so we will endure. 1 Peter 1.6 tells us this, You rejoice in this, Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying there is that it's through suffering that God molds and shapes you, so that we will persevere, so we won't give up, so we'll become more and more like Jesus. When I was in my early teens, undercuts were all the go. That was the kind of haircut you had where it was long on top but shaved underneath. And I really wanted a haircut, but my dad, no matter how much I pleaded, wouldn't let me have one. And the suffering I went through, it was massive. I'm still wearing the scars. When I look back, it was probably nothing. But at the time, I just didn't understand it. But dad was helping me to see that I didn't need to conform to everyone else. He was building me and molding me into the person he wanted me to be so that I wouldn't be led off by the crowd, so I wouldn't necessarily conform to what others around me said. He was molding me so that I could endure this world. I could say no when others around me wanted to lead me ways I probably knew I shouldn't go. Our Heavenly Father always knows what's best for us. and Unlike our worldly fathers, who sometimes get it wrong, He knows what struggles lie ahead in our lives and the type of person we need to be and the suffering we need to have to mold us into that person. And so with that in mind... He molds us so that we'll endure, so we'll keep trusting Him. It's never fun going through the fire. It's not fun suffering. But if your faith is genuine, our suffering produces pure gold, It helps us to remain in Jesus. There is nothing more precious for a human being to know and to trust God. That's what we've been made for. That's what being human is all about. If you know your Creator can be trusted, because you've heard the gospel and and you know and love and trust him, then there's nothing more precious in human life than knowing our great God. If our faith in Jesus is genuine, then it's worth being shown to be genuine. And like gold mixed up with all kinds of muck, it's worth passing through the fire so it comes out the other end pure. The refining process is is good. Now, it might be painful, but it will result in the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ on that last, last day. It will hurt, but it will never be too much for us to bear. Verse 14 tells us that if you're insulted for Christ's name, God's Spirit rests on you. God the Spirit will help you. He'll change you and mold you so you will endure. He will comfort you and be with you and remind you of what God has said in His Word and what that future is. What a great blessing it is to have the Spirit in us if we trust in Jesus. So as we suffer for being a Christian, Peter says, rejoice. It'll hurt but it's it's exciting. You're being molded into God's own likeness. You're, you're partners with the creator of the universe. You're on the team that's already won and when God's glory is revealed. We can't even begin to imagine the joy we'll experience and the joy that does not end, and a joy that will last for eternity. Rejoice, says Peter. Rejoice in the suffering that comes because you're a Christian. But point number three is don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. See, this, careful, this passage has got two warnings we need to be very careful about. Peter is not saying that suffering in and of itself is good. Um, this isn't a call for everyone to, to go out and actively pursue suffering. You know, to go to work naked or to use fish sauce as deodorant or to say things that you know are just going to ramp people up or, or going to be harsh or rude. It's, we're not to do that. That's just ridiculous. Don't suffer because you're dumb for doing dumb things. We rejoice because we're suffering for Christ's sake. We're suffering for living as we ought to live. You're suffering for making a stand for Jesus. You're you're suffering for telling others the truth about him. And those things will bring suffering. And the world might say those things are harsh or those things bring hurt to others. But if we're lovingly speaking the truth, that's what we ought to be doing to suffer. But verse 15 says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Friends, let me plead with you. Don't be dumb. If you're suffering for doing something wrong, if you're suffering because you robbed a bank or shot your next-door neighbor's cat or even just a meddler sticking your nose in lots of people's business and people kind of get sick of that, well, you probably deserve the suffering. Don't do that. But if you suffer as a Christian for living for Jesus, then have no shame in that. Have no shame at all. The problem is the world has got it upside down. See, the world around us thinks it's fine for someone to steal music off the internet or to take home some stationery from your work. You do that and, and no one bats an eyelid. But there's, there's no shame there. But as soon as you say you can't go out on Sunday night because you go to church, well, our face, they, they light up like Rudolph's nose. We go all red. The conversation goes quiet and people look at us weirdly. We kind of turn around and look for a hole to crawl back into. Are you ashamed like I sometimes am of following Jesus? Do you ignore that little voice that's so often in our head saying, go, tell them why you trust Jesus. I- invite them to church. Do you tone down your Christianity when you're not around Christians? Well, the fourth point Peter gives us is do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. Suffering for the gospel is nothing to be ashamed of, but the opposite, something we can be so thankful for. All too often, we're ashamed of of suffering for the gospel. We'd rather live a comfortable and inconspicuous life than suffer for what we truly believe. Don't be ashamed. It's the best name in the world to be associated with. It's the one who will be standing as king forever. It's the truth that lasts for eternity. If you suffer because you live for Jesus, don't be ashamed, says Peter, but praise God that he's allowed you to live for him. But if, on the other hand, you don't live for Jesus, if you haven't yet given your life to Him, this passage has got a warning in it that really should scare us like crazy. Look with me at verse 17. For the time has come for God's judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, Peter here is not saying that Christians are better than everyone else. Not at all. We are sinners like every other person. We deserve God's justice. Uh, We deserve God's punishment. But what he is saying is that if God allows his own people to go through such painful suffering, such refining, the ones who trust him, the ones who will spend eternity with him, if this is his judgment on them, then can you imagine what his judgment will be like for those who reject him? Can you imagine what eternity will be like for for those who don't want to give their lives to Him, they'll face God for the full wrath we deserve for turning our backs on Him. We've said no to the God of the universe. The pain we experience now will be like a walk in the park compared to what awaits those who don't trust in Jesus. It may seem harsh, but it's what we all deserve. If you don't live for Jesus, If you don't accept his gift of salvation. And please hear this warning today before it's too late. We're not trying to scare you into being a Christian. We're trying to show you the love of God. Jesus died for you. So you don't have to face what we all deserve. This is not some game or, or children's fairy tale. It's the reality, the historical reality. A man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth came and lived and died. And he rose again. And human history points to that fact. So come to Jesus while you still can if you do live for Jesus, this should motivate you. Have you told your friends the reasons that you believe in Jesus? Do you care about their future? Don't be ashamed of suffering for the gospel. So how do we do that? How do we stand? What is the key to standing firm amidst suffering? Well, look with me at verse 19. So then, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. The key to standing firm is entrusting ourselves to our faithful creator. I mean, think about it for a moment. Do you think the God who made the universe can be trusted? Do you think the one who holds your life and mine in his hands is trustworthy? Do you think the God who went to incredible lengths, who laid down his own life who died in our place and secured eternal life for us do you think that that god can be trusted even when life is tough well if you think he can't you don't know him but if you do know him you know he's trustworthy that he can be trusted even when life is at its toughest you've seen the way he's acted throughout history you've seen what he's done at the cross now the key to standing firm is to look at the trustworthiness of our God and entrust ourselves to Him. When the going gets tough, we need to do the will of God. When suffering comes, we need to listen to God's word and will and do good, do what is right by standing as a Christian, trusting Jesus to the end. I think that's what Peter means by doing good, living God's way, even when it hurts you, even when it costs your reputation, your career, your relationships, your wealth or your life. I mean, who would you rather trust? Yourself? How is that working out? No, trust your creator. Even when it doesn't feel or seem good for you, entrust yourselves to your faithful creator, for he knows what is right and good. And he loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you more than you could ever love yourself. And he knows what's best. He knows what you and I need. He knows how we need to be refined. He knows what's right. He literally died for you. It's impossible to be loved any more than we've been loved by Jesus. It is impossible for God to allow anything that's not for the good of those who love him to happen to us. for that's what he's promised. Romans 8.28 We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If you've seen God's love, then entrust yourself to your Creator. Entrust your reputation to your faithful Creator. Trust your good and your life to your faithful Creator. And rejoice as you suffer for living as a Christian. It's such a countercultural way to live. But God's will for your life is to suffer here and now, so that you might enter into His creation trusting in Jesus. Why don't we pray that God would help us to do exactly that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love shown for us at the cross. We admit that when suffering comes, we all want to give up. We all want to turn from the thing that's causing suffering. We want to pull back on our Christianity. Help us not to do that. But help us to see that your will for us is to be refined and to live in your world, pointing out the right way to live not as arrogant people, but as, as gentle and respectful and loving people, holding out the truth of the gospel. May you help us to stand on that truth. May you show us where we're pulling back and may you help us as a church to be a group of people that are excited about taking the news of Jesus to the world around us. Help us not to be ashamed, but in our workplaces, in our schools and universities, in our families, amongst our friends, by your spirit, embolden us to live for you. And Lord, for those of us that are here checking out Jesus today, we ask that you would show yourself to them. That we might see how amazing you are and what you've done for us and how good it is that our sins can be forgiven. And despite the reality that God's will for us in this life is to suffer, to see that is a far, far better life. As we long for that new creation, when you wipe away every tear and our pain and our suffering, And we enter into that perfect relationship with you and your people forever in the new creation. Father God, help us to long for and live for that day as we rejoice to be called Christians as we suffer. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.